Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel. To Daniel. And I think that this is a nice little turning point because we just got through doing a whole series on the old Bible stories from the Old Testament, the ones that you learned as a child. And I called that series Grown Ups, going from a childlike faith, those old stories that you heard about Noah's Ark and David and Goliath and, and all of these other great, Noah, yeah, I said Noah's Ark, but the, the Garden of Eden, you know, all those stories that you learn as a kid, right, in Sunday school. Well, going from that childlike faith to a grown up salvation, okay? Because I I think that a lot of times we immediately tune out. If we've heard the story, we think we know all there is about the story, so we don't go back and read that story. But it amazes me that I've been studying my Bible professionally for 15 years now, and there's not a single thing I've ever read twice that said the same thing twice. I don't know how it works. That's God, right? It's God. But so now I did an informal survey yesterday with my Long X Ranch Cowboys on the private Long X Ranch Cowboys group. And I asked them, I said, what would you like to see in 2024? Would you like to see more character studies, learn more about the Old Testament, um, learn more about spiritual warfare and, and everything that is allied against you as a Christian because you didn't have a bullseye on your back from the devil when you were living in the world. You weren't making a difference to anybody. I mean, I'm not saying you were a bad person, but in the cosmic realm of things, you weren't a threat. But the second you give your life to God, you become a threat, and now the bullseye's on your back. So I ask them, you know, do you want to learn more about spiritual warfare, how to deal with those things, or just be made aware of them? And so, uh, by far, people wanted to learn more about the Old Testament. That, That was one of the things that they did. So we've all heard the stories about Daniel and the lion's den, right? Well, I'm going to half switch from our grown-ups, even though we're going to look at a childhood story, I'm going to kind of switch my focus from stories in the Old Testament to books of the Old Testament. And I'm going to, I'm not going to say that I'm going to go through all 66 books of the Old Testament. I might if God leads me to do that, okay? But really what we're going to focus on is, is, is the, the ones that are talked about in the New Testament so that we can see why Jesus is doing all of this in the New Testament. I mean, he, re- he referenced the Old Testament all the time. He talked about Jonah. He talks about Daniel. So anyway... The title of this series is going to, for however long it goes, as long as God tells me to, and y'all keep coming, I reckon, going to be called Old School. The Old Testament in today's world and what we can learn from it. And I hope that by the end of today, this is my goal. My goal is that I will whet your appetite enough that you will go home and at some point today you're going to be like, I'm reading Daniel. I'm reading Daniel. Man, I'm hooked. There is so much stuff that I had no idea what was going on because I have to cover 12 chapters in 20 minutes, okay? I cannot go into deep 
dive into all this in 20 to 25 minutes and still give you application at the end, which I will do. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel. Now the book of Daniel, I learned so much about this week. The first thing that is noticeable is Daniel has 12 chapters. Now, here is an interesting part about Daniel that you didn't know, okay? Daniel has 12 chapters. It's divided into about three parts, okay? You have your Daniel chapter one, and here's what's cool. It's written in Hebrew, okay? Chapters two through seven were originally written in Aramaic. And then eight through 12, which is not four chapters, it's five chapters. I don't know the math. I don't know why that works. You can't subtract the two and come up with four. It's five chapters, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. I don't know why that math is hard for me, but it is. Okay, so, we, so 8 through 12 is written in Hebrew. So we have chapter 1 written in Hebrew, and then 8 through 12 written in Hebrew, and 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. Now, chapter, and Aramaic is a cousin language to Hebrew. Like there's a lot of words that are the same and, and stuff like that. It's kind of like us talking to Canadians, you know what I mean? We just say A a lot. And, and stuff like that. And then if you want to talk like my buddies uh, in, in Australia, you just have to say bloke a lot and mate, you know. So it's a cousin language, right? They can kind of understand each other. It's Aramaic is what Jesus spoke, as well as Hebrew and Greek. Uh, so in chapter 1, there are four main characters that we are introduced to, okay? They are Belshazzar, okay? You probably don't know who he is. But you definitely know who Shadrach, Meshach, and their billy goat is. Okay? So we got three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and their billy goat. I don't know why mom would name their son a billy goat, but anyway, it's a billy goat. And, and this is what's funny. Belteshazzar is the Babylonian name for Daniel. I don't know why we use his Hebrew name, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that is their Babylonian names. It's not their Hebrew names, but they are four men that have a great love for the Lord, and they are in exile in Babylon for 70 years, but we'll get to more on that later. So chapter 1 introduces Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? In sections 2 through 7... Sections 2 through 7 is the Aramaic section. In chapter 2, it talks about the king's dream. Okay, the king's dream. It's a big, big statue made up of four different kinds of materials. And a rock from heaven comes and hits this statue made of four different materials and just obliterates it and it becomes a big mountain because it was a big statue and a big rock comes and destroys it. The statue symbolizes four coming kingdoms that will ultimately be defeated by God. Now, where Daniel comes in, Daniel is actually, whoops, Daniel, Daniel is actually uh, listed in Daniel as Nebuchadnezzar's chief of magicians. Now, he doesn't do magic, and he's not like, he is a holy one. But the reason he's the chief of the magicians later on is because 
Nebuchadnezzar hears about Daniel and that Daniel has a direct link to his God and this God can interpret dreams. So Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel in and Daniel interprets the dream. Okay, that's how Daniel starts to get his prominence. Okay, now I need you to remember the king's dream in a minute because two through seven have kind of symbolic chapters that they go with. Okay, so in chapter 2 is the king's dream. In chapter 3, though, we find Shadrach, Meshach, and their billy goat that they are required to eat and worship the king's food. Now, the pork and, and shellfish and things that, that Jews are not supposed to eat, these three guys say, I ain't having it. I'm not doing it. And so there was a law that if you didn't do it, you was thrown in a fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar is so, oh, Ned is so hot to trot that these three guys won't fall down and worship him that he orders the furnace heated to seven times what it normally is, and those three guys are thrown in this furnace. Now, interesting thing happens. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, we hear Ned, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we hear old Ned say this, Look, Ned shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Well, we know that's the angel of the Lord, which if you subscribe to mine and some other uh, really, really brilliant, beautiful people, uh, you know, sexy and tough and cowboy, not our joke, that, that the angel of the Lord was actually a pre-incarnate Jesus. Okay, so, so Jesus is kind of walking. He's not Jesus yet. That comes when he's born. But he's the pre, because he was in the beginning, right? John first said, in the beginning was, the, was God and the, and the word of God and the word was God, right? So this is the pre-incarnate Christ uh, saving Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? So they are taken out of the furnace. They're not singed. They're not hot. They ain't smoking, nothing. And old Ned is so impressed by this that he gives them high rank. It makes them secretary of state. Like it, now he's in their cabinet, right? They, they get exalted for, for showing God, right? And then in chapters 4 and 5, what happens is, I'm going to lump these two together, is Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and his son... Belshazzar, I always get it mixed up with Daniel's real name. It has a T in it. Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son, I believe. And so Nebuchadnezzar's dream is about a big, big tree that basically come and gets chopped down. Okay, that, that's, the, that's the easiest way. So he asks Daniel, who had interpreted the other dream, hey, come tell me what this means. And basically what Daniel says is, I don't want to tell you what it means because I'm afraid you'll kill me. He's like, no, man, tell me what it means. You, I, I won't do anything to you. He said, you are like the tree. You have grown up to the heavens. You're the most powerful man on earth. But here's what's going to happen. God's going to come cut this tree down and leave a stump. All that's going to be left of you is a stump. If you don't repent and turn towards God, you will become like a wild animal roaming out like a feral dog, eating carrion and grass and sleeping outside. You won't even be human anymore if you don't repent. Guess what? Ned's a dog now. Ned's a cow. He's out there acting a fool. Here's the most powerful man on earth eating grass like a mangy dog does when it's sick, right? That's chapter 6. 
chapter 7 is Belshazzar who takes his place as king because now the king's acting like a fool out there, you know, popping a squat in the front yard. Right? So somebody else has to be king. So Belshazzar comes in. Well, Belshazzar is throwing a New Year's Eve party. I don't know that it's New Year's Eve. It's a party, right? You know what they're drinking out of? All of the holy things from the temple of God. I mean, they, they got orgies going on. I mean, this, this is a sinful, sinful place, right? And a disembodied hand appears in front of all of these people doing God knows only what, and it starts writing on the wall. Well, guess who's called? <laughs> Get old Daniel in here. Let's figure out what it says. And so Daniel goes in there, and God tells him what it means on the wall. <laughs> he goes, you ain't going to like Daniel says, you ain't going to like this. But if you don't stop all of this right here, you're going to be dead before morning. Well, guess what? <laughs> there must have been a party to end all parties because Belshazzar was dead the next morning, right? But here's the thing. Later on, old Ned repents. Okay, later Ned repents and is restored to king because I ain't got one anymore. Remember, he died for doing all sorts of sinful things with the holy things of God's temple. Belshazzar is still dead, just so you know. I mean, like, that, nothing happened, right? You die, you die, right? Repent or die. So anyway, uh, that is chapters four and five. Now we get to chapter six. The same thing happens to Daniel. You remember when I said that these chapters line up with each other? The same thing happens to Daniel that happened to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and their billy goat. Okay? Daniel doesn't worship what the Babylonians think he should be worshiped. He doesn't eat like he's, he doesn't pray to Ned like he's told to, right? And so, uh, Daniel is taken, and I mean, he's high on the list, and he's thrown into a hungry lion's den. They used to keep lions just ravished, hungry, and then they would just throw enemies down there to them, let them eat, right? So uh, Daniel is thrown into the deal. So chapter 6 is just like uh, chapter 3. They both get punished for not worshiping idols. They are, they are, uh, oh, what's a, they hold to God. I mean, they're right there with him. They don't do anything they're supposed to do. And Daniel goes into the lion's den and the same thing happens. He makes friends with the kitties. He teaches them fetch. They're rolling over, right? It's a great thing, right? He's, he's his patron saint of, 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 of cats, Daniel is. And not really, I'm joking. And so, anyway, Daniel comes out, and the same thing that happened, Ned sees, I tried to kill these three. That didn't happen. He exalted them. And, and, and when he exalts them, he says, you don't have to do any of that anymore. Well, then he does the same to Daniel. He's like, okay, Daniel can worship his God. His God saved these guys and saved him in different ways. We, we believe in Daniel's God. So, and then in chapter 7 is Daniel's dream. Okay, remember what I said. The first chapter is written in Hebrew. Then 2 through 7 is written in Aramaic. And each one of these Aramaic chapters has a B-side to it. Okay, so in chapter 2 was Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the tree. In chapter 7, it's Daniel's dream. 
that he has. Well, Daniel's really good at interpreting other people's dreams, but he needs help. Now, granted, you have to understand that God gave him the answer every time. It was never Daniel. But just as the other dreams, Daniel has to wait on God to explain what is going on. So, uh, this is what Daniel dreams about. He dreams about four beasts. A winged lion, a winged leopard, a winged bear, and a boss beast. Okay? A boss beast. It's, it's bigger, meaner, everything than the other three, right? And this boss beast, all, all four of these, all symbolized arrogant kingdoms of the earth. Okay? The super boss represents a real, real evil empire that will come up. And on this beast, there's ten horns, symbolizing kings, rulers, or kingdoms, right? But one horn is bigger than all the rest, right? But one horn stands out. This horn will exalt himself. He's a mean guy. We know now through the New Testament that what this is referring to is the Antichrist that will come and ultimately be defeated at the second coming of Jesus after we're raptured, and then Jesus comes back, brings us back, battle of Armageddon, millennium, thousand years, and then we're into eternity. All right, we got a little ways to go. But anyway, so one horn stands out, he will exalt himself above God, and he will make it his mission to kill God's people, okay? Now comes, and this is where the Old Testament gets great. Okay, now comes a term that you've heard, I don't know how many times. You've read it, you heard it, you just didn't know where it came from. It came from Daniel's dream in chapter 7. Okay, now comes a symbol of hope. Here's these four beasts, one of them's a super boss beast with all these horns and a bigger horn that's going to kill all of God's people. This is a bad dude. Now comes a symbol of hope for all of God's people. Let's see if we can tell who he is. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says this. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. What did Jesus refer to himself over and over and over? What did he call himself? The son of man. This is why he called himself a son of man, because of Daniel's dream prophecy right here. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one. That's God, right? He, the, someone like a son of man, looked like a human, approaches the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. The Son of Man. Now can you see why he riled up them Pharisees so bad? He was claiming to be the Son of Man, the Messiah. It was a dig at them every single time. He said, yeah. Just like the son, so will the son of man. So will the son. I mean, he over and over and over just dug it into the Pharisees. I am who Daniel was talking about. I am the son of man. I have been given. Do you remember in the Great Commission? What did Jesus say? I have been given authority 
over everything. And it says it right here. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that every people of every race and nation and language would obey him. This is where it comes from. This is why Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Well, God kills the beast and the Son of Man is placed at the right hand of God. That's how the chapter ends, okay? Whew! My goodness. Let's take a deep breath. Now we get to get into the juicy parts. <laughs> I like juicy parts, right? So we're going to go back to Hebrew, right? We're going to go back to Hebrew. Chapter 1, okay? Hope you're with me. Chapter 1 is written in what? Hebrew. They are recruited to serve initially, right? They're smart guys. And listen, you don't become the king of the world by killing smart people. You use smart people, and that's why Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler of the world. Because he uses smart people. And the smart people in this story are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and their billy goat. Okay, Abednego. Um, so, chapters 1, they're recruited to serve. The fiery furnace, chapter 3, they are thrown in the furnace. When they come out alive, they are exalted to higher service. And then in chapter 6 as well is... Uh, the lion's den, where when he survives that, when God brings him through it, he's exalted as well. Okay, so those three chapters all tell of the faithfulness to God despite persecution. Like, if you will just hold tight to God, no matter what, you will be exalted. But if you go out on your own, you'll be torn down. That's the message. Over and over, it was Daniel's message, y'all be faithful and I'll protect you. It was the same message to, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Repent, turn to God or something bad's going to happen. It's the same thing. They're just, God is just pounding it home and hopefully he can pound it, you know, 2,500 years later into our pea brains that follow God no matter what. Turn from your sin. It's leading you down the wrong way. So, be faithful no matter what happens. The four dream chapters, right? The king's dream, and then you have in chapters 5 and 6, the two king's dreams, Nebuchadnezzar again, and Belshazzar, and then Daniel's dream. So there's four dream chapters in the Aramaic section. The four dream chapters tell us the dangers of pride and that while there are many that will come against God, he will, he will be victorious in the end. But when will that be? Because you know what? That people of every race and nation and language would obey him, that's never happened, has it? Absolutely not. His rule is eternal. Well, where's his rule now? It's someplace else. I mean, yeah, he rules, the king of this world is the devil, because it's a sinful world, right? So, uh, he will be victorious in the end, okay? But when will that be? Well, that is reserved for chapters 8 through 12. It's all prophecy stuff, which if you like end time stuff, you have to love Daniel, and we'll talk about it. So, God tells us when all this is going to happen, kind of, in God's own way. Okay, the juicy parts, we're back to Hebrew, chapter 8. Daniel's second vision is about a ram and a goat. Okay, so we've left statues behind, we've left trees behind, we're still kind of in the goat or the animal imagery, but instead of a winged lion, a winged bear, and a winged leopard, now we have a sheep and a goat. More importantly, a male sheep and goat, a ram and a goat. Okay, so, uh, and on the goat... 
Guess what we have? Big horns and little horns again. The horns are back. He will attack the, the big horn. It's said that he will attack Jerusalem, exalt himself above God, and defile the temple with idols. In the end, God wins, and his people win. The devil loses. That's chapter 8. It's just an entire telling of end times. Once again, he just says, man, there's going to be an antichrist, and he's going to be backed by a lot of sinful nations. He's going to rise to prominence. He's going he's to claim peace, and then when everything's peaceful, he's going to come in, set himself up as God in the temple and demand to be worshipped. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> this is what's going to happen again right? And then God's going to come down just like he always does with Israel. He's going to rescue Israel, and finally, finally, he will institute peace on earth and reign forever when he comes back. So, that's chapter 8. Chapter 9 is Daniel's prayer about his second vision. He consults Jeremiah's scroll because Jeremiah was a prophet before Daniel. They had the scrolls of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's prophecy said that Israel would be held in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And guess what? It's getting close to that, okay? It's getting close to that 70 years. And so Daniel is all encouraged by this. He's like, man, I'm reading the Bible. We're only going to be here for like 70 years, and we've been here like 65. I don't know how long it's been. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but an angel comes and tells Daniel that there has, yes, they will only be in Babylon for 70 years, but God already knows that when they go back, they will not repent as a nation. And so they will suffer seven times 70 years for not repenting. What's 70 times seven? 490. Now, chapters 10 through 12, Daniel has lots of visions and dreams, okay? <laughs> Uh, chapters 10 through 12 is all about Daniel's third vision, and you're going to hear some things that you've heard of before but probably never understood. So, here we go. Chapter 10 through 12 is Daniel's third vision. Many kingdoms, this, is, this was his vision, many kingdoms will come and go, but one will be the ultimate enemy, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the horror of Babylon, and all of this stuff that's, that's written down, right? But one will be the ultimate enemy. The king of the north is what it's called. Now, all you Game of Thrones just nerded out, didn't you? The king of the north is going to come and invade. <laughs> what do you think Game of Thrones was, was based on? Mm. The king of the north uh, will come up. He will set up idols in the temple and demand to be worshipped as God. Not much different than Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar did, right? But guess what? Time and time again, who wins? God wins. But let's take a closer look as we finish up here at a few things. Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, okay? Now, chapter 9 is, is, it was another of his visions. It was about his second vision. Daniel prays for understanding and when he doesn't get it right away, a message from God, he covers himself in sackcloth, sits in ashes, and fasts for 21 days. Now, I talked about this about three weeks ago, okay? So he sits there, and he prays to God, and finally, 21 days later, an angel shows up and says, here's what that vision meant. Now, see, we're looking at all of this because we know what happens in the end. We have Jesus' revelation. We have John's revelation of the apocalypse. We know the end of the story. You have to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Daniel didn't. Daniel didn't know any of this stuff, so it's brand new to him. So uh, 
Then Daniel chapter 9, he prays for understanding. 21 days later, an angel shows up, and the angel says, hey, you ain't going to believe what happened, man. Daniel's like, what happened? He's like, man, the second you prayed for understanding, God's like, get down there and explain that vision to him. Get on down there, Cletus. Cletus went down there, and he ran into a big old bad outlaw that the Bible calls the prince of Persia. This is another angel that, ruined, that rules Babylon, okay? The prince of Persia is a, I mean, he's a boss angel, right? And Cletus is just a little messenger dude. The prince of Persia, Daniel's in Persia, he's in Babylon. This angel keeps the other angel from coming and telling Daniel what the vision means. To the extent that 21 days later, Cletus couldn't get the job done. So what does, uh, what does uh, God do? He sends the archangel Michael to wipe the floor with the prince of Persia. And that's when he came in. Now, what's crazy about that, Daniel doesn't know all this. Daniel is fasting, and he's sitting in sackcloth and on ashes and all of this stuff. He is basically doing spiritual warfare right there because there is spirit, there's big-time war going on in the unseen realm, okay? So we'll get back to that in just a minute. The angel then explains the vision to Daniel because remember all the 70s? 70 times 7, all of that? It's very confusing. Let me try to use my gifts. God, please let this be understandable. The angel says that there will be 70 sets of seven before God ultimately wins. Okay? 70 sets of seven. And then the Bible does some weird stuff. It basically says there will be like 62 of them and then two and another seven or something like that. Basically, it says that there will be 69 of 70 sets will happen when the Messiah comes. At the end of that, 69 of them, the Messiah is going to come. Ultimately, he's going to be killed. That leaves 170 left or one set of seven left, okay? Now, there is a break in the weeks. And what this break is called is, did you know that nowhere, well, I can't really say nowhere. You remember when Paul keeps talking about the mystery of the gospel? The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Well, the reason he talks about this mystery is because there was never a plan for Gentiles, people that were not Jews by birth. There was never really anything in the Old Testament about them coming to know God. The, the break between the 69th and 70th week is the church age where Jesus says, you know what, y'all are my people, but y'all killed me. I'll go out and get these people that love me. So he goes out and he loves me. And the 70th week cannot happen until the fullness of the Gentiles is reached. In other words, when people that aren't Jews, at some point in time, one person is going to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and Jesus is going to come get us. The fullness of the Gentiles will be reached. And if he's waiting on you and I find out about it, I'm going to whoop your butt. I'm tired of this. Let's get Jesus back down here. So give your lives to Christ. Line up, we'll baptize all of you. Okay. The 70th week, the 70th set of seven is a seven-year tribulation 
that is only for, the, for two reasons. The seven-year tribulation is for the repentance of Israel. You've heard it said 144,000 are the only ones that are going to heaven. Listen, there's nobody, if you're a believer in Christ, you're not going to be here for the tribulation. Jesus is going to take us up in the rapture because we're the bride of Christ. You don't let your bride go through a hailstorm, right? And, it, and basically, it's going to be so bad on earth that Jesus said if we didn't stop it, nobody would be left alive. Everybody would die. It's that bad. So the 70th week is the seven-year tribulation that no believer, authentic believer in Christ will be at. But it's for the repentance of Israel and to whoop the butts of everybody that has been denying God. Finally, after all this time, he said it would happen. It's going to happen at the end of the seven-year tribulation. So what does all of this mean? And we're done. What does all this mean? First, it means that nations will rise and fall, but ultimately every knee will bow down before the power of God. Okay? Second thing all of this means is that it means that what you do here on earth, how you act in public, how you act in private, the things you think about, the things that you say, the actions that you take, they have consequences in this world. Okay? They have consequences. It means something. This is not a spiritual relationship. This is a real relationship with God where we honor him with our thoughts. The Bible says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, right? It means that what you do here on earth, how you act in public, private, how well you obey God, and whether you dissolve like toilet paper in water at the first test, all of this have consequences in this world and the kingdom of God. Okay? What you do say and act like have consequences. Good, good results. Bad, bad results. It's not, it's not rocket math. Okay? It's not chapter math. That was funny. Third thing it means. Faith is what you believe in when faced with death, not what you decide to do on Sunday morning. Let me say that again. Faith is what you believe when faced with your eternity, not what you decide to do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night Christmas Eve, or New Year's Eve. Okay? And fourth, there's a spiritual aspect to this world right now that would blow your mind if you could see it. The Bible even talked about it one time that uh, Elijah let, Asked God to open the eyes of his servants so that they may see, because they were surrounded by enemies. And God opened up uh, the servants' eyes, and they were surrounded by angels defending them, right? There is a spiritual aspect to this world right now that would blow your mind if you could see it. There are angels fighting angels. There are angels protecting us right now, okay? Ephesians 6, the New Testament, because I'm always going to tie it in. Ephesians 6 tells us to fight like God's warriors on earth, Okay, you have to do your part in order to fight that battle. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. And you think I'm joking that that is part of the armor of God because he says all of that. He says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. He says, children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Because you have to put on the full armor of God to fight in this battle. That is part of the battle. It's doing what God says the way he says to do it. Okay? For we are not 
Listen to this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Maybe you didn't catch the four intelligent beings that are after you right now. Did you catch them? Evil rulers. These are intelligent beings intent on ruling nations with evil towards God. The prince of Persia was an example of this, of an evil ruler. They were assigned by God, territories on earth, to look after his creation. They ended up revealing themselves to man. Man started worshiping them, and they kind of got addicted to that worship. And so they left God behind. But they're still here, right? Evil rulers, authorities of the unseen realm. These are supernatural beings that would make you wet yourself if you could see them, okay? Every encounter with a supernatural being in the entire Bible, the people that saw them wanted to die. That was their first thought. I'm gonna die. Just by seeing this, I'm gonna die. Authorities of the unseen realm are supernatural beings that would make you wet yourself if you could see them. Mighty powers in this dark world, we may not understand demons, but we understand that they're real, okay? And evil spirits in heavenly places. There's a lot out there and a, and a lot of it hates you, okay? There's a lot out there and a lot of it is hell-bent on keeping you from following God. They even may get you thrown in a lion's den. They may even get you thrown in a fiery furnace. And maybe you'll be rescued, and maybe not, but the end is always the same. You will come face to face with God, and you will be protected. You may die, but you won't be there when you die. God will already take you. He's not going to let you go through that. Okay? See, Christians have already died. We died a self. We don't have to die twice. You will not be present for your body's death if you're a Christian. Jesus said, I will come and get you. You don't have to die twice. He says, oh, death, where is thy sting? You will not be there for it if you hold, fast, hold faith in God. Evil spirits in heavenly places, there's a lot of it out there, and a lot of it hates you, not you, who you have put your faith in. That's what they hate. So, yes, it hates you too. Congratulations. Once again, what does all this mean? And we're done. With God, you win. Even if it feels like you're losing at the moment. Let me say that one more time. With God, you win, even if it feels like you're losing at the moment, but ultimately, you are guaranteed to win. Without God, you lose, even if it feels like you're winning, but ultimately, that's a bad, bad mistake. With God, you win, even when you feel like you're losing. Without God, you're going to lose, even if it feels like you're winning. Turn to God. He is such a faithful king. Let's go to the Bible. All right, let's go to him in prayer. Whew. God, thank you for your message today. I pray, God, that somebody's faith is encouraged and strengthened here today. God, we love you so much. Yeah, it's a little bit long, but God, I just, the Hebrew word for knowledge is yada, God. But yada means knowledge through a relationship. The knowledge you gain from a relationship with a person. So God, my message this year is going to be yada, yada, yada. Knowledge through relationship, knowledge through relationship, knowledge through relationship. And God, I pray that we all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And study Him, old school, new school, all the way around in hopes and faith that we will live forever and be on your side.
and we will ultimately win. God, I pray that lives are changed and transformed, and it's in your glorious name we pray. Amen.